This is an intense one, a high, high point. Peter abandons Jesus, but there's some good stuff in here. Okay, I'm going to start with John 13:10. After Jesus has washed their feet, and you remember, we kind of correlated to that from John 13 to uh, Luke 22. They're having the argument about who's the greatest in Luke 22, and that's probably the context of him washing their feet. Uh, I saw that disconnected for many years, like, oh, Jesus just decided to, you know, be humble and wash their feet, but now I suspect it's connected to this argument about who's the greatest and being the boss, and he says, not really the way we're going to do it in the kingdom. And then he gets down and washes their feet in absolute power and humility. Okay, but in John 13, 10, he makes this statement. Uh, he, washes, he, he comes to wash Simon's feet, and Simon says, Lord, uh, Simon replied, don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean. And then in Luke 22, he makes this statement, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you, not just you, Peter, but all of you as wheat. And I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. And then in Matthew 26, 69 and on, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow's with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath and said, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing went there, went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man, and immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And then here's a unique passage, Luke 22, 59 through 61. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow is with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Wow. So take a moment, combine those passages together and talk about what's happening with Peter. Hit pause and um, and just come back and just, just break out what's happening with Peter, what he's asserting and what actually happens. Hit pause and come back. Okay, I continue to ask you to hit the pause and come back because it's the best I can do to have a conversation over a video. So uh, continue pressing on with formulating your own thoughts. It's just so critical what the Holy Spirit gives you and what you put together is actually more important than anything I've got to say. So I want to highlight that first, you know, there's this washing of the feet thing, and then uh, Jesus is telling uh, Peter, 
that sign that Satan's wanting to sift them, and and some commentators will say that you know he's seeking to separate them from Jesus. But certainly part of the sifting going on here is their pride about who's the greatest. And there is that gap, as one of my friends have said, between who you think you are and then what happens. And it can be so painful when we have self-discovery of weakness or sin in our own lives we didn't think we had. But the great thing is the Lord knows it already. And Peter is professing with all intensity, and so are the others, the other ten, that he's willing to and ready to go both to prison and to death with Jesus. And his heart is just convinced that he will go the distance with Jesus. But then, of course, what happens is uh, later after the Romans take him at the behest of the, the priests, somebody asks Peter if he knows Jesus. And he says he doesn't. And then Another, and it's a servant girl. And then another servant girl says, oh, I think you do know him. And then this is, this is a really bummer. It says, then he denied it again with an oath and said, I don't know the man. Now, oath means I'm putting myself in a position calling on God. Like if what I'm saying is not true, may bad things happen to me. And then people confront him again for the third time. And in addition to the oath, oh, it's just so painful. Peter's just in a really fearful, broken place because Jesus has been captured and yeah, he kind of knew that was going to happen, but the whole thing's been just so overwhelming for him that when they confront him the third time, it, he just loses it and then he begins to call down curses on himself. You know, if this isn't true, then may God do horrible things to me and my family. I don't know the man. And he is tormented with fear and denies the Lord in, a, in an incredibly public and passionate and fearful way. And uh, we just need to understand the fullness of what's happening in the history here so we can really understand the greatness uh, of who Jesus is and, and how he's really working with them and us, right? Because if the story's thin, then Jesus' response is thin. But if the story is real and it's intense and it's as visceral as it says, then Jesus' response is that deep and visceral and, and awesome. Well, take a moment. What's Jesus's response to all this? And consider all the passages. There's clues in, in several of them. And particularly, I want to ask you when Peter denies him that third time. And Luke twenty two sixty one 61 says, when the rooster crows the second time, it says, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. So what's going on there? And ask yourself, what's on Jesus's face, right? That's the question to answer. What's on Jesus's face? Tell your worst fears of what you think is on his face and then your most positive hopes of what's on his face. Be honest, be gut level honest with the people you're around or yourself, right? Hit pause and come back. All right. So our darkest fears of what could be on Jesus's face is the Peter, I told you so, right? Um, Peter, I can't believe you failed me in this way, right? Disappointment or, you know, the, the rejection. Again, these are all the devils, what would be on the devil's face, but the rejection of 
I can't believe you did this. We're ne I'm never talking to you again, right? Jesus isn't saying that, but those are our, or just the shame of like, unbelievable, you'll never be worth X, Y, or Z. I mean, I hate to even say the things that the devil would say because they would be so horrendous. But of course we know that's not Jesus, right? That's what we've learned the whole story. So then you have to ask yourself, okay then, if we get the garbage out of our picture of Jesus and therefore a picture of God, right? If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. Oh, love it. If you get the garbage out, then what was on his face? Well, let's look at the let's look at the scripture passage. I love this first one. You know, when he's washing his feet, he's Peter's saying, Well, don't just wash my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered and said, Look, if you've had a bath, then you only need your feet washed, your whole body's clean. And he says, And you are clean. And he's saying more than just your the physical washing of his body, right? And when you read the message Bible and you look at John uh 13, he gets it really, really clear here. In verse 10, the Message Bible says, um, if you've had a bath in the morning, you need only clean your feet, and now you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean. So Jesus is saying, Peter, I love you and I know what's coming. You have no clue the brokenness, the sin in your own life, what's what you're capable of, but I know in advance. And I'm telling you, oh, watch and pray. It's gonna be it's gonna be a struggle. And I want you to come through this with as least pain as possible. But I want you to know one thing before you hit this denial. You're clean. You're with me. This thing is not about hierarchy and who's the CEO and who's the senior pastor and all this thing. This is about relationship with me and you're clean. And so he plugs that hope in to Peter before he erupts in this massive public denial of the Lord, right? But that's awesome. He plugs in that hope. You're, you're clean. And then look at the next passage. He says, uh, Satan's wanting to sift you. He goes, you know, I just want to tell you, and I'm not just telling Peter, I'm telling the other 10 of you too, but Peter, I've prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Oh, don't you want to just ask the Lord, like, Lord, pray for me like I know you do. That's what it's saying. Ahead of all my sins, help me just come through them and stay connected with you. And uh, But that's, that's a beautiful thing. And that's what's part on Jesus's face. He goes, I knew it, Peter. He goes, you're devastated that, that you've done this thing you thought you would have never done, this sin that you thought you'd never have done. I've prayed for you. I knew it was coming. And I'm rooting for you before the sin, during the sin, and after. And that is awesome. But then he also, so get this, he prophesied, when the scripture prophesied, you'll all be scattered. But Jesus prophesied, you're going to fall away, right? That's the negative prophecy. Here's the positive prophecy. He says, I also prophesy you're going to turn back. And when you do, strengthen your brothers and sisters, right? Now that's awesome because we take the negative prophecy as like iron clan 100% and it was. We need he needed to take the positive prophecy as ironclad 100% you can count on it. You will turn back, right? And number 3, let's see 1 2 3, number 4 
There's still a call on your life, Peter. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. They're going to be devastated just like you, that they ran and that they denied me in many ways, although yours was the most public, but strengthen them when you get back. So that's number four. And um, so the things on Jesus' face are what we have just highlighted, right? I knew you were going to do it. I prayed for you, right? You're clean. You will turn back. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. And then there's another one in day um, day 12 uh, when Jesus, when Peter is saying, look, even if all fall away, I will not, right? He says, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Just want to tell you, number five, when you get through this whole horrible thing and the devil, just he's going to attack with all of his fury and he is going to try to tear you down with accusation, fault-finding, criticism, condemnation like you would not believe, guilt, right? He's going to pour on the rejection and, and the shame. It's going to be horrible. But I prayed for you, Peter. You're going to make it through this. He goes, but we will meet back in Galilee. This is all happening in Jerusalem, 50, 60 miles north in Galilee. He goes, and we're all going to huddle up and we're going to work through this thing. So that is what's on Jesus's face, right? And we fear the worst, but that, those are all the clues of what's in there. Now, I want to just ask you another question. That, that question about what's on Jesus's face, it's so important that you spend a little time with that and really ask yourself, well, what, what are the worst things I think are on Jesus' face? Because that's going to help you know where your image of God is weak, distorted, broken, wounded, like mine. And mine was wounded in the ways of just thinking God was so demanding and really rejecting me like I could never do enough, right? And, and I really wasn't in, intent, in touch with that. I didn't realize I had so much rejection and insecurity in my relationship with God, but that the gospel actually deposits hope in us. Jesus saying, I've totally forgiven you. If, since you've turned to me now, I put my spirit in you, you're mine. And that starts to heal that insecurity so I can approach God and come closer to him and especially run to him rather than run away from him when I fall in sin. And that, because that's the key, running to him to overcoming sin. You run away from God, how are you gonna overcome sin on your own, right? That's why the devil wants us to do it. It keeps us trapped in bondage and sin. We need to run to him before, during, after sin, because that's the way we're gonna get free and get whole. But here's another passage. Um, well, so I'm gonna back up. So use that what was on Jesus's face to identify what you think about God and where your image of God needs to grow because that's where the Holy Spirit is probably gonna be doing some work with you. But Genesis 3 is also a place to really help you examine your image of, image of God. So when they take the plum or, you know, some people think it's apple, I'm not sure it says an apple in Genesis 3, but the fruit at the tree and the behest, at the behest of Satan, then, they put these fig leaves over themselves and whatnot. And it's in, in Genesis 3a, it says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, my guess, I think that's Jesus before he was a human, right? Because we know he's God. So he had a life before he was human. But, but that aside, maybe, 
It might, who knows, maybe it was the Father walking through the garden, but since Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, it's my guess it was, it was Jesus. But anyway, and it says, they hid from the, the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So ask yourself, they have done this epic sin that has impacted all the generations to come. And they're hiding now, knowing some portion of what they've done. How do you hear God's voice in that moment? What's the volume? I mean, is he yelling, where are you? Is he whispering, where are you? Is it in the middle somewhere? What's the color and tone of the way you say it? I mean, is there accusation in it? Is it compassion? Open that up, hit pause for a minute and just say, and just talk to yourself or your group of people and say, yeah, what do I think his, his voice was when he was saying, you know, Adam and Eve, where are you? Right? Because again, that's going to give you clues about your image of God and where you need to grow and what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. All right? So do that, hit pause and come back. Well, the beautiful thing is, even though we don't have all those things in Scripture to help us answer that question about Genesis 3, we have the answer, what was on the Lord's face when Peter fell. And we know it's the same thing that was on Jesus' face in the garden or the Father's face, whoever is walking through the garden. And it's the same thing of, you know what, I've prayed for you, right? Turn back, I care about you. Cast off all these new, sick, emotions the devil's throwing on you all the shame all the fear all the guilt all the condemnation and by the way i've created animal skins to cover you and forgive you i it's it's a it's a symbol of my covering of your sin and i'm i have not left you i've not abandoned you you know some people say this oh this god forsaken time this god forsaken earth god hadn't forsaken anybody He's covering us and working with to turn our hearts for all that will are willing to respond to him. And so you can answer what, what was on uh, what was God's tone when he was talking to Adam and Eve by remembering what was on Jesus' face when Peter did this epic failure, right? And um, his intercession for them and whatnot. So the takeaway verse in this is no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John 1.18 So, if Jesus has made the Father known, take a moment, what have you seen right now in Jesus and how he relates to Peter, and what does that show you about the Father? Alright? Hit pause and come back. So, the fact that Jesus has prayed for Peter and, and he knows that he's going to sin, it means the Father knows we're going to sin and fail in certain areas and he's praying for us. It says the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. It says Jesus is interceding for us. The three, they're partnering together, praying for us to strengthen us and, um, and help us in all situations. And then when you see the fact that Jesus has been in relationship with Peter and that he's clean, that means we're in relationship with the Father and we're clean. And the fact that Jesus prophesies also, you're going to turn back and strengthen your brothers and sisters. There's still a call in your life. It means the Father's not giving up on us when we fail. And he's calling us back. 
He's still saying, I've got a call on your life. He goes, really, we're still connected. Um, and so again, Jesus reveals the Father. And if, if we didn't have Jesus to look at, of course, we'd be afraid of all the horrible images people invent in the world all down through history. Um, it, it's just the confusion about who God is and, you know, um, gosh, the ancients and them sacrificing people or children or women, you know, just reveals their image of God was that corrupt. And, the, you know, the one talent guy in Matthew 25, he's saying, I hid your talent rather than doing anything with it. Why? He goes, number one, I, I, I knew you were a hard man. And number two, you required a harvest where you didn't plant seeds. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who said I was a hard man? Right? The one talent guy's mind was so messed up in his image of God, he couldn't realize God's not a hard man. Life may be hard at certain times in this fallen world influenced by the devil, but just because we have hard circumstances in life doesn't mean that God's hard. It means the devil's hard, but there's a lot of love and some other good things in life, and we need to understand that comes from God. But the one talent guy, if all of us one talent people can get our brains cleaned up and our hearts cleaned up and think, wow, God's a lot better than I thought he was, and he's just like Jesus, man, we're going to take our one talent. We're not going to bury it. And we're saying, God, if you're good, I'm going to risk for you. I got to get involved with you. And uh, I'm, I want to respond because you're pursuing me and I want to respond back to you. And so as our image of God gets more healthy and whole, oh, the faith, the confidence, it's never perfect, right? We're not talking about perfect faith, perfect confidence, but it billows up and grows and we start to interact and use our one talent and all the one, one talent people stepping up across, you know, China and Africa and Russia and America and Europe and, and all these countries interacting with the Father, drawing on Him in intimacy, receiving the power, spreading that out in our own lives, how we relate to ourselves and how do we relate to our kids and families, how we relate to our jobs and all the one talent people being the army of God who care about people because he cares about us. Now that's, that's what I'm after. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And then lastly, worship without music, right? Take a moment and just craft three or four statements to Jesus. Like, okay, Jesus, this is what I appreciate about you. This is what I like about you. This is what I'm grateful for. But it's gotta be to him instead of just about him. I, I urge you to like build the intimacy into your worship, whether you got music or not. Build three or four statements and then hit pause and come back. Okay, I'm, I, I'm just so desiring for all of us to, to practice worship. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. And I'm only advocating one. But our capacity to worship can truly grow. Set your alarm clock on your phone and set it for three times during the day just to take five minutes out or go on a 15 minute walk and just, you know, we always ask him for a lot of things and that's great because we need things. But let's take three times a day, 15 minutes and just say, I'm gonna go out and I'm literally just gonna tell you the things I love about you or I like about you or I appreciate about you or I'm in awe about you. And um, worship, is like this rainbow that has so many colors to it. And what I've discovered in the last 20 years of talking to him about himself, it's so 
deep and amazing and intimate and there's layers to it. And I would just encourage you, go back to the beginning of the book if you haven't filled out the sections, read the page all over again, the day one, and say, I'm gonna do this thing, you know, and, and write down, hey Lord, I, I love the fact that they are confused about the parable, you know, of um, the four soils, and you just explained it to them. That is neat. I want that to go into my heart that you're just gonna explain anything to me that I ask. Ooh, I like that. And then go to day two and then, and you start working through them and, if, and inventing those worship statements. And as the days, weeks, months, and years go by, you'll find the rainbow of worship just emanating so brightly out of your heart. And you'll think, I had no idea. Worship, with or without music, I mean, I'm talking without, could like expand to this degree and could throw off so much depression and anxiety and despair. Uh, there's just a whole series I want to do on overcoming anxiety, depression, and despair. And But, you know, there's a whole lifestyle of thanksgiving that we can be into. But I'm really talking about also another vein of just a lifestyle of worship, right? That first commandment, loving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. So I'd say go after these things, write these worship statements down, and 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 take on a new dimension of life right? This is not a task I'm talking about. I'm talking about a lifestyle. And you will find your, your emotional health and, and, and anxiety and worry like being pushed off as you gradually grow in these heart strengths of just fellowshipping with Him and just enjoying Him. The enjoyment's the key, right? Enjoyment and delight. Well, my worship statements around this is like, oh Lord, <laughs> Jesus, I love so much. Peter's, Peter's going to fail like massively, right? Maybe not as massive as Genesis 3, although that was, there's nothing bigger than that, but it's huge. And you encourage Peter, you get, you get under the sin, you get ahead of the sin, you plug in hope. And you're, I love the fact that you tell Peter you're clean already. Oh Lord, I'm just, I bet like, as he's battling off the shame and the condemnation and the devil's attack, at times your Holy Spirit got in there just to remind him, he said you were clean, hold on. Do not give in to the devil, right? The remembering Jesus that you prayed for him. Oh, I love that about you. You prayed for Peter before it happened. That encourages me. You're praying for me before I fail and sin in ways. And, and that helps me know, that, that just helps me want to overcome sin or avoid it and, and grow in self-control and all those beautiful things. I, I love that about you and, and um, that you prophesied the positive. You're going to turn back, strengthen your brothers and sisters, and there's still a call on your life. I haven't rejected you. Jesus, oh, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful I can see these good things in more than principles. And again, I love the principles and, and the excellent theology in the New Testament, uh, in the epistles, but seeing it in you, Jesus, I mean, my heart burns for you, right? Like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Didn't our hearts just burn within us? And I, I just want to worship you through the good times and the bad times in this life. And uh, like in Song of Solomon, it's just like, Lord, you're mine and I'm yours. And uh, really, how's that go? I'm yours and you're mine. You're, it goes both ways. But you're the one who's loved us first and I want to love you back. So, day 14. What was on Jesus' face? A lot of goodness to help Peter through just an epic 
crash and just the burning wreckage of just the impact. I'm thinking of a Marvel movie of something just impacting the earth and let Jesus is like, I'm gonna get you through even this epic crash and you're mine and I'm yours. Amen.